So how, on God's gray earth, did this... And this well, I've told you once and I've told you twice. And even this Well baby used to stay out all night long She made me cry She done me wrong she Become this Detours and Outliers, the only podcast where you can take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. Maybe their best album, it may be their worst album, but it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think they should. This week we've got Logan Reynard, Matthew Moore, and my name is Scott Livingston. We are available on Twitter at DOutliers and on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash detours and outliers. Um, there you can chat with us, talk with us, tell us what we got wrong or what we got right or how pretty you think we are. Um, we do have a website. It's detoursandoutliers.com. We might post stuff there at some point. And we do have an email called uh, detoursandoutliers at gmail.com, so you can reach us there if you want to get more personal about uh, whatever comments you have. Um, so in this week's episode, we will be discussing the Rolling Stones, uh, their Satanic Majesty's Request. It came out in uh, 1967, December 8th of 1967, right in time for Christmas. Um was produced by the Rolling Stones, the first one that wasn't produced by Andrew Oldham, whatever you pronounce his name as. Green Eggs and Ham. Green Eggs and Ham. So um, I guess, what are your thoughts on the Rolling Stones and their Satanic Majesties? I think the title is very curious. I remember I bought this a long time ago. I did enjoy the music on it quite a bit, but it, it definitely... Um, having bought it long after the fact, after it was released in the 1980s at some point. Uh, the word Satan had different meanings when it came to music. Um, yeah. You know, a lot more, um, a little more... Um, metal? Black Sabbath, a little more metal, right? A little more, a little more, uh, you know... Um, um, Less uh, whimsical? <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> a little less whimsy, right? Yes. Right. And the Rolling Stones had, had already become kind of a, a mainstay of popular culture, not something that was particularly scary. Yeah, yeah. They were old by that point. However, looking back on it, uh, looking back on it, uh, not the album as much, but just the reputation of the Stones as being the kind of bad boys of rock and roll. Yeah. Being arrested by, you know, for drug abuse and uh, sexual escapades and the like. Yes. Which only seemed to fuel their reputation and their record sales even more. So they probably should thank the police for their efforts. Regardless, um, this this album is rather, uh, I like the word you used, whimsical, especially especially with its carnival-esque theme. Well, apparently it was originally going to be entitled Cosmic Christmas. Which is the name of a secret song on the end of uh, 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 side one. Which, which uh, do you have to play it backwards? No, no, no. It's in there. It's, uh, it's I. Subtle. I thought it was a, uh, you know, having listened to it on 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 CD and or tape mostly. Uh, um, I thought that Cosmic Christmas was actually part of the intro to She's a Rainbow, but yeah. But uh, it was. I, I kind of looked at that, and it's the it's the I always call them Ringo songs. You know, when when stuff was still composed for a, a vinyl record you know, the quality diminishes as you as basically as the, as the sample rate decreases as you get closer to the label inside of the record and so if you look at the track listing for anything recorded when that was the main medium for stuff to go out uh the singles are track one, you know two, one three. one two and three and then there's a bunch of garbage or crap that they thought nobody would care about. Less important. Feel, yeah, less important stuff. Which often is the best um, stuff. Yeah, which is yeah. There's some great songs. I mean, the yeah. you know, uh, uh, was it Train in Vain being you know a famous example of. There's a lot of times they throw. Well, and bring up the Beatles brings up all stuff. An yeah, important that's, point because let's just say it. <laughs> a lot of the um, derision that this album gets both from critics and the Rolling Stones themselves sometimes is that this was a um, attempt to copy the success of Sgt. Pepper, which had come, come out, out in June, June of the, yeah. Even though they had started recording this album in February, so... I, I have a theory that, I mean, as we get more into the individual songs, I think the Rolling Stones are trolling the Beatles. I think yeah. they really are. I think there's some sarcastic, like... Yeah. Trolling well, I mean, of Sergeant Pepper's, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there were quite as much animosity between the two groups as is often reported, but there was certainly a, a spirit of competition, so we say. Um, Apparently they all went to the same parties. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, when you're rich in London in the 60s, there's only yeah, one good party to go to, and that's that's the one they're both going to, so yeah. I, I like this one as much... As Sgt. Pepper's. I think it's as listenable. It's less of a ripoff of Sgt. Pepper than Magical Mystery Tour, which the Beatles themselves did, like, around the same yeah, time. Yeah, I think, I think when it, you're right, the, the attempt uh, probably to throw in more psychedelic elements into this particular album, I think, was clearly um, a, an attempt to cash in a bit on, on the whole uh, the whole Sgt. Pepper um, experience, especially because yeah. that, that uh, album landed pretty in a pretty gigantic way. Yeah. Right. And and it was it was innovative in a lot of ways. You know, even though perhaps 
some of the songs were overrated. <laughs> correct, but but the um, or, or at least I agree with that. But um, but I think but I think at the same time, it's like it's definitely a very very different kind of album, and and yeah. I, I don't know as if the Stones, the Stones um, were up for the kind of um, concept idea that was behind you know behind uh, yeah uh, you know other than other than it gets linked all the songs get linked together with this sort of carnival barker thing yeah <laughs> uh, that, that uh, doesn't necessarily tell you know a story no well sergeant pepper really doesn't tell a story other than here's the band and they're going to sing these songs i mean it's not really a story as much as it's a a name i mean so one of the things that i really took away from you know listening to it straight through a couple of times in the last week was and and you know this might be an artifact of the the you know vinyl lp medium and the limitations of that but um this would be a way better album if they changed the track order around i think they really could make this a a really awesome start to finish experience if they could have without even removing anything if they just reordered it i think there's some stuff like that but I, I don't know. I like it. It's good. Yeah. I, I will admit that I am not a big Rolling Stones fan, and partially because they don't do more stuff like this. The Rolling Stones are known for being, if not consistent, at least pretty similar in style. I mean, they had, you know... They teased at disco, but yeah, they did just a little, a little disco. bit. They did do a couple of slow songs like Angie and Wild Horses, and they put the uh, choir on You Can't Always Get What You Want. But for... The most part, the Stones, you know, good or bad, sound like they're the they're they're you know second generation blues band. Yeah, yeah, you know, essentially, right? They they copped off the the fifties blues of American fifties uh, electric blues, yeah. did their own thing, and they've always done that ever since. And I do think they have a bit of a chameleon like quality in that, as whatever year, whatever decade, whatever month it appears in, with this album, yeah. whatever's going on, they tend to cater their recordings to fit whatever the uh, particular milieu is at the time. Yeah. However, right, however, they're still, you know, to use the uh, chameleon metaphor, they're still lizards. Yes. Right? They're not turning into other animals, right? No. right? They're still fundamentally what they are, yeah. which is, which is uh, you know, which is a, a blues rock band. Yeah, and I know personally, I've always really liked them because of that. Yeah, uh, you know that's that's what attracted me to them. I always thought they were they were um, maybe not as people. You know, you could always make that argument. <laughs> well, but I always yeah. thought they were way tougher than the Beatles were, right? You yeah. know, in well, terms of their sound. Mister, you know, Lemmy is really famous, you know, for saying that he thought the Rolling Stones were totally fake and a bunch of wimps because they were a bunch of you know, yeah, like rich art school guys playing tough, whereas the Beatles, you know, grew up in where are the Beatles? It's Liverpool, right? Yeah, yeah, L- yeah, Liverpool's like the commerce city of you know, it's like a, cr- yeah. a crappy oh, yeah. neighborhood, no, and they and were legitimately tough. Yeah, but made this really poppy, happy music, whereas the yeah. Stones kind of played it being tough. Well, that's certainly true. Except you know, um, what John Lennon dabbled in heroin for a. Two, one and a half years, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, Keith Richards made a good ten-year commitment. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you, that's something you cannot fault the Stones for. They they did not treat their drugs yeah. lightly. Well, I think there's another thing we need to remember when we're like listening to this is that this was pop music of its time. This is yeah. the Taylor Swift album of 
Yeah, this is what uh, everyone was trying to do from, you know, you know. Perry Como to The Who were all trying to yeah. get psychedelic at this point. So that's and, kind know. of a... Yeah. That's kind of tough to wrap your mind around considering, you know, yeah. where pop music ex- has existed for a while, you know? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that probably knows, you know, you, you, read the, you read the book, but I tough to talk about this without talking about Mr. Brian Jones. Yeah. This... Who used to be the, the, the lead <laughs> of, you know. Well, he was the founder of the Rolling Stones. Yes. You know, Brian Jones was. And, and uh, uh, you know, was he ever was he ever the leader? If you asked him, he certainly said he was. Yeah. And he liked to tell people he was. Um, uh, as far as the, the people who, who, uh, who, you know, very early on, as far as I can tell, very early on, you know, started writing songs together and started mm-hmm. thinking of the Stones as something other than just another, you know, Blues. blues act in mm-hmm. London, which there were a ton of yeah. right, at the time. Um, you know, were, were uh, you know the other guys, particularly making Keith and and the uh, the the piano player, the oh, invisible yeah. piano player. Um, well, yeah, uh, Ian Stewart, right? And so was it Ian Stewart? Uh, I get a moment. Yeah, up. somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Ian Stewart, and and uh, so so, but but Brian Jones, Brian Jones definitely had the vision for the band, as he really thought thought of them as being as being authentic. Yeah. In a way that other bands weren't. Now, now, um, you know, who knows what that means exactly. Yeah. But he he thought of it as as what is you want to sound as close to muddy waters as you possibly can yeah right for a bunch of you know young very skinny white boys from london london right yeah um by the time this album came out he had he had exposed himself to a a a um uh, a level of uh drug use that that was really um Herculean, Herculean, and unsustainable. Yes, and and based from you know based on the other guys from the bands, right? Is you know he was the he was very much you know a a creative a creative force in the band, Um, you know especially especially with his desire to integrate as many different kinds of instruments as possible into the music. One of the one of the uh, the biggest problems with with him is that apparently um, he was very unreliable. Yeah, and as drug users can be. and could be uh, violent. That is an issue too. Yes, which made them not like him. Well, and I can see how once Jagger and Richards became a songwriting partnership, it's harder to exert as much control or influence over the group. So yeah, he would be pushing for anything that would you know sitar on painted black or whatever. So he would have a role in the group, other because he saw what happened to poor Ian. And if you are contributing. You get sort of shuttled aside in this band, so he was. This album does sort of feel like his last gasp at making a difference in the Rolling Stones. And after this, I don't know how much longer he lasted, but they never really let him play with his toy box again. Yeah, Beggars Beggars Banquet's the next one. Yeah, it's the next one. And 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 from what from I from what I've been able to gather about Brian Jones is that he was, you know, I think. Absolutely, is like he had much more um, an impact on this album, yeah, right, than he did on Beggar's Banquet. But at least from his, you know, existing interviews, yeah. he, you know, he, um, he apparently thought that the Stones had gone off the rails uh, with with uh, with with this album, and he was very happy that they went back to a more 
basic kind of blues sound right yeah. with uh, with beggar's banquet however however by that time they were uh, apparently the stones were fond or, or not fond of but rather um um uh, fed up with his unreliability understand and there are these stories you know who knows how true they are or not but there's these stories that in the studio they would get frustrated with him and they would just unplug his amp and they'd let him play along with whatever while yeah. they went off and did the actually actual recorded the album right yeah well i brian jones wasn't the only one who sort of felt like the band went off the rails on this album i mean they've only played like two of these songs live and didn't even start doing that till the 90s They've all sort of disowned this album as some sort of redheaded stepchild in their discography, which I will admit makes me like it, or at least think about it a lot more than your average Rolling Stones album. So, I've always liked the things that 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 show, uh, you know, as long as it's still good, I think this is good. Yeah. But but I always like things that show show different sides. Yeah. And, and this is this is definitely a different well, album. One of the ways that they've like always criticized, you know, this is. I don't have the the quote in front of me, but you know Mick and uh, other people in the band said that this was just like them screwing around in the studio, and you know, some it, of it it, is. aimlessly. And some of it is, but I I think some of them just aimlessly screwing around in the studio is kind of a window into you know, yeah. like peek peek behind the curtain stuff, warts and all. Yeah, and. For a band that's been around for so freaking long, they're still around. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. You, you kind of want to look and yeah, know. yeah. I do wish they had done more experiments. Maybe not necessarily psychedelic experiments, but you know, different stuff. A country album or an acoustic album or something. I mean, I don't know their discography well enough to know if they actually have those. The blues there. one's good. The, yeah, one's the, the latest good. one. Yeah, there you go. The oh. latest one. Yeah, it's the blues one. It's it is. It's really good. But it was all. It was all. But once again, it was. This is what we're really good at. Yeah, let's yeah. do what we're really good at. They, they, they are. I, I think it's important to look at this through the lens of them being like, through like the time and the culture, and that they were a, a huge pop band, and yeah. that they had to deliver whatever the huge pop thing was at the time. Yeah, and this is them giving it a real earnest no. try. And this was before the seventies, <laughs> where where you you had a little more. Um, um, with <laughs> yeah, a little more width and in, in what pop could be, right? Yeah, and the, there was be. still there was still uh, you know I mean the, the horizons were expanding, but yeah. but you know if you look at later albums like um, you know like Sticky Fingers, yeah. not that much later, just a couple years later, yeah. or or um, or or um, Exile on Main Street, these are these are these are albums that are um, definitely definitely uh, uh, more. I guess traditional in the sense of the kinds of music that they're playing, yeah. but but it is it is it is far more modern sounding, and far more contemporary in terms of something that we could relate to today yeah. than the stuff that's coming out of the '60s, which still has a bit of a flavor of bubblegum to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is dated in its own way, and this is certainly the most dated in both good and bad. <laughs> I think this one, you know. They they learned their lesson on this one is is the the best way I can put it because again it's like a big pop band is you know yeah. a band that like wants to sell a lot of records you know the the big criticism of the Rolling Stones is that it's like well they they kind of consistently just do 
the thing that. that they do, and they do that well, and they never step outside of that thing. Um, and this album is them stepping all over outside of stuff that, and it's yeah. it's it's a very interesting car crash at times. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is certainly the type of album this podcast was designed for. So let's dig into the first song. It's uh, "Sing This All Together." Which also happened to be the um, theme song from the Paul Sills Story Theater show from 70 to 71. Who? I don't even know who that is. I don't either. Did they <laughs> not? This is the cover? No. no. Oh, they, they used it? They, yeah, they licensed it. Oh. Oh, boy. Some kids shows. Oh, dear. Sorry, kids. I would like to say it makes perfect sense why that would be the theme song to a children's television show. Yes. The whole idea of let's close our eyes together. It is very sing-songing. It is very uh, childlike. It is. I mean, it it sounds like they let several mm, children just loose in the, you know, tambourine department. And And that's the other thing, too, is the, the, uh, the... Sergeant Pepper comparisons yeah. is this is definitely you can hear them you know what's the old cliche using the studio as an instrument yes yes they are they are putting as much on this song as they can get their hands on I'm 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 dropping dropping the bomb right here this is the first and certainly not the last uh, uh, Spinal Tap reference oh, yeah. <laughs> this is We Are the Flower Children yes this is like the like, most cash grabby. No, we're hippies too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where the kids like what? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, we got that. Well, you know, and, that, that, and it's like half a song. It's like yeah, half a the, verse of a song. And then an extended <laughs> section where everyone is banging on their tambourines or their weiros or their marimbas right. or whatever they've got access to for a good hour and. Then, and then they come back. And the fashion, well, obviously, as a podcast, yeah. we cannot show you this. Nonetheless, the fashion at the time with all the colors and the velvet and the poofy paisleys shirts and, and the... Uh, paisleys and all of that kind of stuff, it was just a couple years before they were wearing suits, and it's only maybe a year or two later they're never wearing that stuff again. Yeah. It's all jeans and T-shirts. So, so it really is kind of interesting how that has become the symbol of the 60s when it was just this, this yeah, short like... little moment. Right. Right after Sgt. Pepper, so yeah. 67 through about, well, this this album may have killed it in December of 67. They, they borrowed the actual outfits from the Beatles on the yeah. cover to record this song. Yeah, by, by <laughs> the end of the month, you know, Bob Dylan had released John Wesley Harding and everyone was going back to their roots in 68, is, so. Uh, Matt, can I get a, 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 a socket to me, Nixon, <laughs> yeah. on this one? Because this is... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was, yeah, this is this yeah. is that. Well, this is the 60s in a nutshell. Well, let's take a listen to the next one. Maybe it'll be more like a a song. Yeah. 
sounds a lot more like what we would have heard from the Stones on like Between the Buttons or Aftermath. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty yeah, it's a badass song. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. heavy. It's rocking. You know, and it, there's it, not too much extra no, instrumentation or weirdness. I mean, there's not a lot to it either. It's no, kinda, it's, it's it's a good song. It, it's pretty standard, but you know, there are a lot of you know, there's a lot of or- orchestral instruments in there. However, buried. they're buried right exactly. Yeah. That that what's carrying the tune is the the bass drums that, and guitar. Yeah, according right, to yeah. Uh, according to Wikipedia. And I'm not sure which songs or whatever, but John Paul Jones was responsible for the string arrangements and stuff on this. That yeah. makes sense. So, he was working in that area cool. at that time, yeah. doing that thing, so it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, if... and he was he was a very active studio cat, and he was an arranger oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. He also uh, arranged um, Donovan's Mellow Yellow. Oh, yeah. Cool. I did not know that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, the story... You know, the story, the story of that one apparently was is that he was called in because the song was just failing because the arrangement they had was with two basses playing opposing lines, one going up and one going down. Hmm, and, I want yeah. to hear that. That sounds <laughs> awesome. I am curious now. <laughs> so, so, we, um, so he said, let's just uh, let's ditch that. But one thing that I really like about this mix, and actually it is, it's true of a lot of Stones albums, not mm. not so much of their more recent discography, but yeah. but a lot of the earlier stuff is that. That the vocals are clear, they are not in front of the music like like often it is with other pop bands. Yes, where, where yeah. all of the music is just behind. It's like mixed voice is just one of, one of um, the five. One of the right, yeah, one of the elements. five instruments, right? Yeah. And and unlike uh, you know some of the other albums we've talked about, like Cruising with Ruben and the Jets, where yeah. where there's a lot of vocals, they're all up front, they're yeah. they're all carrying the tune. Um, it is something that is fairly unique about about the Rolling Stones, is that they yeah. they don't rely on that that um, uh, kind of you know the poppy vocal yeah. harmony kind what, of thing. What they're playing with on this album, uh, so you know, like we 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 discussed that they are like this rootsy, like traditional as they can yeah. get for pasty British guys. Yeah, uh, blues band with guitars and drums and stuff like that, harmonica and stuff like that. What they're playing with us on this album is this really lush kind of acid fried yeah. '60s stuff, and I don't, you know, with that without the help of John Paul Jones or somebody like that, I don't know if they have the chops to pull it off all the time. So you can yeah. hear them on this hit and miss. Yeah, like on this one, it sounds really focused. It's because yeah. the riff is really good. That kind of lush like fullness with tons yeah. of jangly shit going on. It works on this, but th- as we'll get yeah. into, there's other stuff on here that Less, where it's more like than hit. it's it. Well, and I think it's just it's it's beyond their capabilities. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Beatles had George Martin. Yeah, and he could do the orchestrations. Which yeah, if, apparently um, their usual producer walked out very early in the recording of this because <laughs> it was such a freaking mess, and so I don't think Mick you know, could notate for French horns or anything like this. So the the overdubs and orchestras, they had to rely on either John Paul Jones or their own naivete, and yeah, it'll be... Oh, I would like to say that there's a fantastic Red Cross cover of this with some great, great bass playing by Stephen McDonald. Um, check that one out. It's, it's a good... This is a good song, the original, and the covers are great because it's a good song. It helps. Yeah. And all of these songs, another peppery, yeah, 
moment, they all segue. Yeah, they all sort of fade into each other with sound effects and whatnot. So let's listen to the next one, In Another Land. In another land, where the breeze and the trees and the flowers were blue, I stood out of your hands, and the grass grew high, and the feathers floated by. I stood in your Who's credited as the snoring on here? That, that was Bill. Was Bill? That was Bill. <laughs> he actually fell asleep yeah, during yes. the recording of this song. So that was another word. I don't think anyone would understand this. <laughs> if you're wondering... Much to my surprise... That, though, is the exact sort of thing you would not hear on an earlier Stones record. No, for, for many reasons. <laughs> it, is, it is unique in a lot of ways. Um, yes. But it, it's a, a... Well, firstly, there's not a lot of Stones songs that are not sung by Mick Jagger, and those that are are, are sung by, by Keith Richards. Yes. And so is so, that Bill? That was Bill. His only singing that, that was on Bill the one. entire... He no only wrote two other songs, uh, Downtown Susie and something called Goodbye Girl that they didn't even release. I mean, was Ringo it, got to sing more songs than Bill. Can, yeah, we, Mick or Keith put their hand in front of his mouth and go out of bed when he was singing the song? I don't know, maybe he's singing into a fan or, or something. I, I think he's singing through a, an amplifier with, with a, a tremolo. With, tremolo. With, yeah. with a vibrato circuit or a tremolo circuit, yeah. yeah. Oddly enough, this was the uh, single from the album. Was released before the album, but was credited to Bill Wyman and not the Rolling Stones. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, throw him under the bus, man. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's a lot, of, sort of like the Kinks would give Dave a song, but they would put it out as a single as Dave Davies because they didn't want to be associated with it or whatever. Well, and and similar similar uh, to Dave Davies, Bill does not have quite the voice that no. is uh, t- typical of pop music. Yeah, that that um, you know. He sounds beautiful on this. So yeah, I don't know well, what you're the, talking about. The thing is, it, the reason this song got recorded <laughs> at all is uh, Bill oh, showed no, up I, to the I studio and uh, Mick, Keith, and Brian didn't. So he's like, well, I got nothing to do. So he, Dude, this is the Rock the Casbah of the Rolling Stones. I know, it's so fantastic. it's fantastic. Steve Marriott of Small Faces is playing guitar, and uh, Nicky oh, really? Hopkins yeah. is playing keyboards. It's, wow. There are really no stones on it at all, and in fact, he was just doing it to kill time, and then the engineer, Glenn Johns, played it to Mick and Keith afterwards, like, oh yeah, that's good, we should put it on there. It fits It fits perfectly it's, with yeah, the album. it's very it's, Satanic it's awesome. Majesties. It wouldn't go on any other Stones album. Of course, they had to undercut it with, you know, putting poor Bill snoring on there, too, which There's, is... There's something that I wanted to say at the top of this that I forgot about, but it's as good as here as anywhere. But uh, um, to hell with this stereo recording. I don't know if anybody's yeah. tried to listen to this mess on headphones. Oh, yeah. It it's is a nightmare. Ping ponging. It all is a over. nightmare. The vocals are completely on one side, except for some like 
orchestral crap on another. It's a mess. I mean, yeah. just all of the psychedelic crap that they went way overboard so, so with, you, so the, with know, the stereo recording. I like, imagine this was... Did they have an 8-track? Were they recording an 8-track or was this 4-track? I know that the Beatles didn't get 4-track until... Or 8-track until Abbey Row, which was 69. But I think the Stones may have been a bit pushier. They had Alan Klein sort of right, right, working yeah. for them. So they may have been able to... to Get their eight track, which would explain all the extra instruments going on here, especially since no one was really producing it. The bouncing down was going to be a challenge, so I hope oh, they had eight tracks. Just mixing this, yeah. I, I, this seems like a nightmare. Oh yeah. Wait, Glenn, so Glenn John engineered this, right? Yeah, yeah. And he went in on to produce like a yeah every he's everything fairly well known in the after, right? You it know, sounds like, as well as good as it does. Yeah, because if they were. You know, half baked and, and that dude wasn't getting jammy. paid enough for this crap. No, no, he <laughs> wasn't. The... <laughs> How long did it take him to record it though? It couldn't have been that long though, right? Was I think this album was like started in February and finished in October. In fact, they so that's they pretty had lengthy to... for the time. Wow. Period. Yeah. So like well, a... they 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 it was supposed to come out a couple of times and they didn't have enough songs that it would get pushed back. So yeah, there's a lot of we'll get to it padding. Padding on this album. Uh, we can't hear the harpsichord. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 the other harpsichord. Yes. <laughs> no, well, the other harpsichord. <laughs> but the, the build, the build thing though is, is you know, I agree with that. Is like over the course of, of the Stones' entire career. Yeah. Right. You know, I I still am a, b- a big fan, and I do think they still come out with an occasionally good song now and yeah. again. I I can't name other than the recent blues one. Yeah. I can't name an, an a, like a complete album of theirs. Yeah. That 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 held a lot of weight and i think i think uh part of that is is because of uh perhaps this this uh well bill left yeah. but but beside from that right getting someone like bill to just kind of push it yeah like in a different direction even if just for a song yeah well that's why you need a band and why this isn't just mick jagger and random studio guys because he's yeah you know and by the way that's a very good point too because uh we do know that mick did have a solo career in the 80s where it was just Mick Jagger and random studio guys. Yeah, oh, he did, Yay. That, he did that Jimmy Cliff song. Yeah, and, that, and it was, uh, well, the thing with Jimmy Cliff was, it was well, no, the thing with Peter Tosh was kind of cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but his like primitive cool album yeah. and stuff and getting Joe Satriani to be his guitar player, it was oh, just yeah. a really awful. Or just awful. that super group he had back in 2010 with Joss Stone and Dave Stewart of Eurythmics and. What was it? Super heavy or something? It is. Um, he needs the stones. He yeah. needs the stones as much as the stones need him. Yeah. Well, maybe more yeah. than the stones need him. Yeah. Keith can sing okay. Yeah, yeah, he does all right. Yeah. Bill could sing. Maybe Bill, yeah, it's hard yeah, to Bill, tell. Bill could do a song. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is this is their rock the Casbah. Yeah, they, this is this is the solid, you know, rhythm section person coming in and laying down a whole tune by themselves and yeah. being and they should pretty good. I mean, I don't know if he has a solo career or anything, but I'd be interested he does. to hear more Bill. He does. It's real bluesy and stuff. Oh, it's, shocking. It's, it's good, yeah. Bill. All right, well, let's get to the, um, the 2000 man.
came out 18 years ago or yeah 2000 <laughs> man yeah well i've always wondered about that uh you know i'm not you know lyrics always mean whatever you want them to mean of course if anything i never understood uh i mean i never i never thought of it as like the year 2000 it always yeah. seems something more to me like like there's just someone who is so distant from everyone else yeah you know like my kids don't understand me you know, and you know, like we talked about, it's like this is this is a uh, this is a, an album that is essentially aimed at young people. Definitely. And yet, this kind of this <laughs> the kind disenfranchised of, and, youth. Yeah, and so I think it's this voice. You know, and he, you know, there's the mention of the computers in there. So it's oh, like, yes. it's like just like 2000 is just something. Yeah, it's more like 2001. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 By the not too distant the... future. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's that opening with just the acoustic guitar and the drums. And it sounds like the drums couldn't really hear the acoustic guitar. Oh, because they go on a beat. I, I, I bet. I bet it's I, you know that sounds like a lot of overdubbing that yeah. they they just didn't quite gel. It wasn't quite yeah synchronized. Of but. all the songs on this album, I think that's the one that I like the most with uh, Charlie's drumming. He's like yeah. always been like a favorite of the yeah. that you know the Rolling Stones don't. Don't work without Charlie Watts. No, and his particular swagger on the drums, and yeah, even though there's some comical overdubbing studio <laughs> studio <laughs> follies, like this one yeah. just has this great like. Well, once the swaggering Charlie the oh daddy part kicks in about a minute and a half in, then it feels like everyone knows what they're doing. Right, I almost yeah. I almost think that that, that acoustic intro. I, was, I can't tell if that was added before or after, or but it was added. But it's right. It's not. Maybe to lengthen the and song, probably, which is barely but you know, three in a, minutes. In a way, it's it to me. It, it it's still more interesting than you know something that that's been kind of sequenced and matched yeah, up done. perfectly. Yeah, um, because uh, you know there had to have been some some guy with scissors and tape, and right? Exactly, putting right. this together. And, and there is something to that that you don't get anymore. Maybe yeah. good or bad. I, a lot of these on this album feel like they had just like a, a kernel of a good idea or even like a full good idea, but nothing to like really connect it to. Yeah. And so it's like, oh good, the song's finally started. Okay, they did it twice. We're done. Maybe three times. <laughs> and they're wrapping it up. Yeah, yeah. So this good. this could have used a producer. I don't and, know if Andrew Oldham was the guy or if they should have brought in, you know, not Phil Spector, but you know, maybe George Martin. Maybe George Martin could have reined them in and made something of this. It's it almost you're right, but at this time, if they're doing their own producing here, yeah, right, then then it, it's probably at a point in their career where they were unwilling to. Yeah, I I think they could have got to have if they some wanted old to. guy rein them in. Yeah, in yeah. The studio. I, that's probably why Andrew left. Yeah, kind of like the Beatles with with Let It Be. Right? Yeah, you know. As I'm a like big fan of you know like punk and metal music and stuff yeah. like that, and there's always this discussion about like, oh, well, that music was around for several years before anybody ha- figured out how to like record it, it in properly. a proper in a representative way. Yeah, you know, so some of the greatest you know punk and metal and 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 thrash records, performance wise, were recorded with terrible fidelity and no idea of how to yeah how to represent 
the live performance, but the but the music, the songs and the performances are fantastic. So yeah. I I feel like this maybe is at sort of a similar time for you know the Stones. Yeah, like. I don't know, weird hippie shit. I don't yeah. know what you want to call it. Psychedelic music. Psychedelic, any, any, yeah. Like, it's kind of early in the days of... of the technology weird. to... Com- I mean, and, and yeah, it really was like some old guy would come in and try to rein you in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and how you, like, bounced off the old guy and still made the music yeah. that you wanted to, to make, you know... Yeah, apparently that is, is captured forever on a <laughs> in ones a, and zeros now. This was what same year, same year a year later. You know when the the uh, uh, the Pink Floyd album Piper at the Gates of Dawn came out. Yeah, a lot of the 67. local scene. This is what they. This is what they. Uh, you know, like they complained about was that that uh, that that the people who saw them live were so amazed by them, and then they got the album, and they're like, okay, yeah. it's all right, but it doesn't really sound it anything like it, what yeah. Yeah. they were doing. Yeah. Well, it takes it takes some practice in order to, you know, capture a new sound like this, and I, I think we're we're on the cusp here. But then again, you know, this is uh, yeah, it's very much um, studio experimentation. I think you know, yeah. some. Well, speaking of not being reined in anymore, <laughs> let's go on to the reprise. Of seeing we all this together now, see what happens. I don't believe I want to. <laughs> I'll tell you what happens. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Um, Side one. That, that clearly, um, we have let everyone just play whatever they want for a good eight minutes. Um, Ringo take the reins for. I don't think it was Ringo. I think side. it was like the groupies were just. Handed. It was a, a surprisingly more sure. interested than Revolution Nine, but still. Yeah, and, and you take that back. <laughs> Yeah, I might have to. I, have to, I need to rethink <laughs> it. It's tough. Because, because that is, they know, are kind of... Because they, they do have, you know... Challenges. Stereo or mono. Because oh. one is more music concrete. Right? Yeah, one is, one is, the other is trying a, to be a song and failing. The other is trying to be a sound collage and, and succeeding. Whether or not you want a sound collage is a different issue. Right, right. But yeah, that is that one's tough to get through. And it's also having a reprise on the album doesn't help it... Not on the same like side a, of the record, yeah, seem like a Sergeant Pepper ripoff. I mean, the, I think, I think it may be just the length of the song that was the only way they could fit it together with I think vinyl. What you said earlier that they they didn't have enough songs for the album. Yeah, I, well, clearly they let Bill Wyman sing one, which and, which really does suggest also that that wherever they were in their personal lives probably wasn't focused on. Yeah, they music. were busy. Yeah, so, doing drugs and Glenn Johns. getting arrested. Clip that together to fill up the rest of the side of that record. Probably. Right. Yeah, I don't think it was a separate take of Sing We All This Together. I think that's actually the first song. Oh, there was hours of that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there are just hours of that. Have you seen the... 
Sadly, I cannot remember the name of the movie now, but there's a movie um, of the Stones, and it depicts them in part in the studio. Oh, Sympathy for the Devil? Yeah, Sympathy for the Devil. By Jean-Luc Godard? Right, and they, by the, yeah, the Godard film, that's the, exactly, and they show the process they go through making, um, uh, you know, the song, yeah. Sympathy for the Devil, yeah. and, and it is quite, it is quite uh, entertaining in it, but yeah. you see how it takes a long time and a lot yeah. of takes before you finally get to... To what it, to what it was, so it's yeah. not it's not like oh I have this great baseline that I wrote and Bill's not here so so uh, you know I, I um, you know I'll just yeah Keith Richards well I'll play that line it's like no Bill's not here you pick up the bass and you're noodling around until you find something For hours that kind of and fits then... into what was going yeah. on right right and so I think uh, I think that that and and then also um, from what what I know about the Beatles recordings too is that you're talking take after take after take that's why their songs sound so perfect because by the time you've you've gotten to take take 63 exactly is that you've figured out all the nuances of what needs to go into it and and that was the process right that was the process is you know because you didn't have unlimited tracks where and and you know sophisticated overdubbing and editing techniques no yeah you had to get the song the way you wanted it so you had to keep playing it until it came to what it was but but that's also means you're doing what you're writing you're writing the song there at the time Yeah. yeah and and uh that that does not sound like Written. Written. No, it doesn't. <laughs> well, it, sound, it sounds like, like what you were saying, that those were probably those 50 takes before they got the first song. Yeah. And Glenn Johns found the best chopped eight it up minutes of it. Yeah, this, this is the song where I was... So, you know, could Brian Jones really play, like, the 50 or however many instruments that everybody says, or was could he just kind of noodle, noodle oh. around on them? Because this song sounds like... I know three two, notes on the two saxophone. people with acoustic <laughs> guitars, and somebody took the the high school band percussion, you know, vibra slap and jingle bells percussion bag, and emptied it out into a room full Ooh, of groupies, and roll Ooh, it. Uh, We're rolling. Crash simple. Because yeah. yeah, there's. There, there's, there's some confused marimba and. There's a lot of musical stuff. instruments and not a lot of music. <laughs> that said, I don't hate it. No, it, it's I. No, it's I, fun I, to I, listen I, to. I'm glad they it. did it once. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to listen to a whole album of it. In fact, eight minutes may have been a bit much. But you know, it's fine. It's, well, I think you know there are worse things. It's, it's one of those those songs too that that it's it's like. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's on par with this. No. But it's like, you know, you sit down. There are some things you say, I want to listen to a three-minute pop song, and that's what you get. And there's other things that you listen to that you you want to hear surprises of what's going on. And it You want to be, be challenged. Right. So it could be, you know, like an, 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 an eight-minute, right, you know, or longer, Miles Davis, you know, yeah. trumpet solo. But but at the same time, it's like, like a, um, there's still an organization to that that might not be present here. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's stuff on Bitches Brew that's like you could be right. So so but what I'm saying is though is that that if I'm in the mood for that kind of thing, this is all right. Yeah. There, there's there there's enough twists and turns to it that yeah. you know. Yeah. The, the three of us are musicians, so we have like patience I, beyond your average listener for I've this certainly sort of stuff. Done this on my yeah <laughs> more than once. I I don't I yeah. wouldn't subject my audience to it, but I've certainly spent time doing that. Let, that is part let of the he who has not jammed <laughs> cast the first stone. Noodled, noodled aimlessly cast the first. And there there is a whole genre of of rock musicians that this is all they do. Yeah yeah I I don't understand them, but that is yeah. their thing, and you know 
More power to them. So shall we flip the record over? Yeah, well, let's flip the record over. No. This we, next song, this next song, if you're unfamiliar with this particular album, you're probably familiar with this song, if nothing else, that it has become... It's one of the only, yeah, famous songs on Yeah, and, and it's a vehicle for, for uh, selling... Vehicles. Stuff, yeah. Among others. Is, is that what they sell vehicles? They use this in commercials and shit? Oh, yeah. 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 Greatest Hits compilation, this is probably the only song from this album you're going to get. Um, it's well known for a reason. It's catchy, it's well done, it's, you know, it's orchestral pop, but it's not that different from, you know, like, say, As Tears Go By or Ruby Tuesday, which they've done previously. Right. The, the, although, uh, you know, the uh, the imagery is, is a bit... Is a bit uh... Well, it's a bit. Well, you know, actually, it is pretty similar to those. Yeah. But I was saying, but you know, the imagery is—it's uh, you know—it's fairly genius. Yeah. You know, you just don't think of those things. Uh, you know, I mean, that makes—that's what makes a good pop song—is having some kind of hook like that, right? Yeah, something you didn't she's think combing of. colors in her hair, right? You yeah. know, it's like a where where the where the heck does that metaphor come from? Um, well, it comes from the band Love. They were going to call the song "She Comes in Colors," but Love already released a song called that oh, so a year she, earlier. So, so they said uh, "Combs in Colors." Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, so she comes in colors. Yes. It's like a so. Uh, uh, if Frank Zappa had done that song, She Comes in Colors, it might have had a different meaning. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is true. <laughs> this, this represents the heaviest lifting that John Paul Jones is doing as far as string arrangements. And oh, yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he... It's really awesome. Uh, it's I a like, great tune. I like yeah. the way it, it, like, stops and then would slowly build the tempo back up a couple of times, but it doesn't, like, really kill the momentum. There's so. some cool... Yeah, some cool... Uh, rhythmic modulation and tension and stuff yeah a couple and of times plinky piano it's, sounds yeah like very piano. on a carnival yeah. album it's the most carnival thing i mean not yeah. just because of the intro yeah um uh yeah it's great and yeah. if you haven't listened to it listen to the bad brains cover of uh day tripper and she's a rainbow kind of mashed into each other a pretty on the nose uh, <laughs> representation of of this period of kind of <laughs> early psychedelic rock. Yeah, drugs, man. <laughs> drugs, man. Okay, what is the next song? The Lantern, which was the B-side of uh, yeah, the Wyman song. Um, She's a Rainbow was a single, right? Yeah, with, it was came out. It was the second single. It went to like number twenty-five or so. Was it just that? What was the B-side of that? I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. Okay, my yeah. phone is dead. Right. Well, let's check out the lantern. <laughs> Thank you. 
Never seen. All right, so the lantern. <laughs> the lantern. So we open with those uh, bells that you know reminded me of a plastic Ono band by John Lennon, but Iron Maiden or the opening of Metalocalypse theme yeah. song. Yeah. So it, I, this may be the first use of them, but it's yeah, it's been done. <laughs> I mean, it it's a song that. Sounds like it's going for a dark, creepy vibe, and then this like honky tonk piano comes in and sort of undercuts it. So I'm not sure, yeah, what they're going for. But um, we hear some like lead guitar for a change, which is nice, and it does sound like another one of the less psychedelic numbers on here. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it could be on a, an earlier Rolling Stones record. Yeah, would be right at home. So there are some cool kind of psychedelic things on it. Yeah. Yeah, and the the bits with the well, um, all of the songs that have it on there, but the uh, the acoustic guitar stuff on there, you can really hear that as a foreshadowing to um, Beggar's Banquet. Yeah, there's a very loose tuning. I'm not sure if it's an open right, and G it, or what, and, and they're right, really and, pulling those strings. And it just drives the drives the song <laughs> to you know, the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can certainly hear where they're going with that. They'll be lantern but it's a it also that that has a you know these brief moments of vocal harmony yeah, yeah that rising the, yeah, yeah, the vocal yeah. the first rising word of each line swelling yeah. that that's cool there's some yeah. there's actually some cool yeah production stuff on this one that is yeah notable but less heavy-handed than other things they've done so far on this album that True. they're not quite ramming it down your throat the same way they have with yeah, you sing know. we all together parts three and four or yeah. whatever. So, do we want to go on to two thousand or Gomper? Gomper. Gomper. Oh, oh yeah. yay, Gomper. Samuel Gompers, of course, was the uh, one of the founders of the American labor movement. I'm sure that's what this song is about. According to Urban Dictionary, a gomper is like a, a mongoloid, um, you know, or a pinhead from like the Freaks movie with the Cro-Magnon forehead and the the numb tongue lisp and whatnot. Oh, like a Mr. Gumby type. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's what this song is referring to or not, but I couldn't find what a gomper is. So, but that that, that uh, motif. The do 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 yeah that was uh, repeated over and over again. I think it's a um, you know that carries the first half of the song until it goes into the uh, tabla trance. Yeah, that um uh, that I think it's it's an interesting way in which to organize a song rather yeah. than over around you know say a, a chord progression or a bass line or something like this. Yeah, it's it's more it's more um uh, you know certainly there's a vocal melody that goes along yeah. with it, but uh, but it's um. It's meditative. It's, it's like meditative, a trance. Yes. Yeah, and it's well, these guys are getting into following the the Beatles leads or you know, yeah, whether the Maharishi like, and all that. Yeah, they're they're getting they're listening to some gurus or whatever. Ragas and 
Yeah. You know, they've got the tabla on there and Yeah, I don't know if that's Charlie or or Brian, but Charlie whoever Brett, it is. I guarantee you Charlie wanted none of that shit. Yeah. <laughs> it, the rhythm is uh once Charlie more, was having uh, none of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean so it, getting measured for a suit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this does end with another, you know, hey, let's just give instruments out to, you know, the janitor and whoever else happens to be yeah. in the room and see what happens. What does this album clock in at? It's not even that terribly long of an No, album. but it's only got ten songs. And this definitely seems... I know it's not, but this definitely seems It's 44 like, minutes and six seconds. This definitely seems like the last song on a side. Yeah, Doesn't well, it? yeah, it, it dribbles off. It, it gets a little amateurish towards the end. I mean, just Is like, this not completely interchangeable with the thing on the end of the first side? Yeah, yeah. But shorter, so. <laughs> yeah. In spirit. The one they should have kept? Yeah, yeah. Now we have another 2000 song. Yeah. Is that a coincidence, or they, they have a theme going? Yeah. But, just a... but this is a measure of distance. Turning around Is supposed to make good music is supposed to make you feel right yeah whether it's nausea or whatever <laughs> so this was actually the uh, b-side to she's a rainbow oh wow that's a so, that's and, a good single man i would have yeah. those are the only two um Hell yeah. songs that you mentioned earlier that the stones have played, played. live. yes yeah. yes so so i have this i wrote this is the song that i wrote in my notes that uh the track order on this album is dumb this should have been the first song on yeah. the first side and they could have rearranged this mess so it was a little bit more coherent yeah. ride through it. Oh, this is easily and, the best song on here, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that that's... I mean, some of the songs sound psychedelic and some of the songs sound like the Stones. This is the only one that really feels like both the Stones... They, they pulled it off, yeah. ...and psychedelic yeah, yeah. at the same time. Yeah. You know, the Mellotron is added, but it isn't taking away from the guitar. And right, right. You know, there's weird phasing delay effects on just about everything, but they're not drowning out the vocals. It's just... And the sing-along high-pitched vocals. Are yeah, which is pretty... subtle, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not important. Right, subtle, but right... Exactly. It sounds like, like children's choir. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not yeah. sure whether that was someone yeah. singing really high or that was sped up on sped tape up or, or yeah. yeah. Leo's still alive, but, you know, now, right now, when we're listening to this, Leon Theremin's rolling over in his grave. Yeah. You know. But it's still... yeah, yeah. Once again, Brian Jones shows off an instrument he bought before he learned how to play it. But you know, that could have been even who knows. Maybe it was one of those cheater theremins. Oh yeah, yeah. the tannerin or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah I mean, yeah. we'll have to get our theremin expert in here later. I'm sure. Right, right, that that yeah. song is great, man. They, they. Yeah, we'll have to ask Vic. What, what's yeah. she, it's spacey. You know, just what it is. Yeah, I don't think she could have a lot to offer than just a. That is a wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that is someone who does not know how to play a theremin. Yes, that is a theremin owner. It is a theremin that's been turned on, and people are walking yeah. past it. Yes. Well, what do you think? Should we get on with the show? Let's yeah. let's in in the album with on the the show, which is an odd way to in the album too. I will admit. Good evening, one and all. We're all so glad to see you. 
podcast um that whole mc ringleader carnival barker thing is not helping their um case in saying this is not a sergeant pepper ripoff i you know i think the problem with the stones is they don't really have like a, a paul mccartney or a davy jones who can do these more twee kind of things mick jagger does not work in this scenario i i wrote this this song is just trolling the shit out of the Sgt. Peppers and the Beatles. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is. really seems like they were having a laugh and they were just like yeah. goofing on that. Oh, we want to do a show tune, do we? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> it's, it's definitely another case of they had no freaking idea how to end the song yeah. at all. Yeah. So when did the Rock and Roll Circus not come out? I think it was 69. 69, yeah. yeah it was yeah. still a ways away. Is there any... Yes. Do they do... Uh, Sing the song together or whatever. What's the, yeah, 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 they do that, right? They do. Do they do or, that? One? No, or I think something else. No, I think they do. They do the one off of Beggars Bank. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they will not do that. You know who should have sung this? this song together or something like that? Yeah. I was like, I Could have had Ray Davies yeah. sing the song. It, it sounds kind of like one of those mid-period King songs from like Village Green or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he would have been sincere about it. Yes, we are going to the Village Green and we're going to do this show. Ho ho, very British, very British. It probably would have had a musical way to end the song. Y- and yes. if you have to fight, please go out the door. Indeed. Yeah. So I guess that wraps up this album, unless there's anything we want to talk about on the Well show. well with the uh well uh just maybe what is it? I know we've talked about it a lot already, but yeah. what is it that really makes this, other than just this kind of attempt to, um, hey, everyone's getting weird now, let's get weird too. Yeah. Which which might be all there is to it. It's bandwagon jumping, right. yes. But what makes this really you know unique in terms of their, their whole catalog? Like, how could you say this is, you know... Well, it's the Rolling Stones album with the fewest guitar solos by a long shot. Yeah, although the the guitar fewest guitars. Yeah, that's true too. It's a very keyboard dominated album. But the the guitar work on here is like awesome and fantastic. No, it's not the guitar. When it hits, it it makes it it really. But it is a very minor part of the stew here. I think there's more Mellotron on this than any other Stones album. Yeah, a lot more just. Jamming. I think this is the least thought out of any Stones album. I don't think they did a lot of, do you, you know. Do you think this is the one that they like? They did this and then they were like, never again. Yeah. Like, well, they they, they were, have we're gonna of, we're gonna stick to what we're good at. Yeah. I mean, maybe had the album sold better than it had, they would have done <laughs> Satanic's Majesty's Request too, as opposed to I think so, Brian's Jonestown Massacre actually recorded an album called. Their Satanic Majesty's second request. So, uh, I mean, thanks to so Wikipedia, you know, yeah. you can look this up. But the, so the album titles a reference on the uh, what's written inside the British passports. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. So it does. It's not like out of nowhere. No, no. Like I, I, re- I read that recently and was like, 
Oh, that makes way more sense than just random. Words like they really together. like as though they were just trying to make the most provocative, yeah, dummy thing they could think of at the time. So I don't know. I've always liked this record. It's yeah on the challenging side of the Rolling Stones, but not well, on the challenging side of psychedelic stuff that I listen to in yeah. general. So yeah, and, and the Stones have so few challenging albums. I mean. Most of them are either good or bad, but they're... If, if for nothing other than context, this yeah. is... Yeah, I think this is definitely... Like, I'm not sure I would qualify it as an authentic one. I'm not sure how committed all the Stones were to making a psychedelic <laughs> album. Yeah. Some just wanted to take drugs. Um, it really, you know, and it does seem like it's quite possible, you know, given the stories we've heard, I'm yeah. sure it's true, that a lot of this, you know, the Bill Wyman song yeah. being the particularly glaring example to all of this that they probably were not even all there at the same time. Yeah, well, they were getting arrested or, you know, right. overdosing off and, and on. And if, uh, they do know, pee where they want to. Yeah. And so. if Bill's snoring, it's quite possible he played his bass line and that was the end of that for the day. Yeah, and he know, just so. crawled into a hole in the, by the engineer. <laughs> and they thought they'd be funny by, uh, you know, just, putting a mic up to him. Yeah. Um, so if this is an attempt to keep up with the times, was it the record company's idea or theirs? So, I mean, they're clearly big enough that they wouldn't have to listen to the record company. I wonder if it was like their manager, I, Alan Klein. Apparently, is a bit of a it, it could have been their manager, and and this could be this could be uh, you know uh, more from a bad recollection of, of Keith Richards' autobiography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but uh, but it seems to me that he he indicated that Mick. But it, it seemed after this time, like after yeah. the '60s. But nonetheless, he said that Mick was always very concerned. With keeping up with trends. Yeah. Well, I could see that. But it did seem like no one in the Stones wanted to do this. So I'm not sure why they did it. <laughs> That's my question. I mean, if it wasn't the record company forcing them to also, do it. and Are we pretty early in... I mean, we're not into the 70s yet. Like, yeah. big... Big records. Big, like, you know... Freak Out, you know, gets credit for being the first concept record. Double record. Double record. It's, you know, it's a whole thing, and the Beatles are doing their thing, but, I mean, we're just past where... Nobody makes... Who cares? A record is just a collection of of your singles singles. you've put out. And so, you know, maybe they're kind of... a little bit on the cutting edge of a a medium or, or like, you know, kind of... Uh, tradition in the record industry that that wasn't fully baked yet yeah well and you could look at it as one great 45 she's a rainbow with yeah that's killer filled up with eight tracks of filler hell yeah but i mean if if, random if they had done you know half a dozen more songs like that of that quality and put them on this app like yeah we wouldn't be talking about this right now it would be an awesome yeah, and the Stones probably you know, would have kept doing yeah, that. Yeah, they probably would have kept doing that, yeah. You know, somebody made them stop. So who yeah. knows? Maybe it's a blessing in disguise then. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I give it four out of five Stonehenges. <laughs> it's definitely, yeah, it's worth checking out. I mean, even if you're not a Rolling Stone, it may be more interesting to you if you're not a Rolling Stone fan and all you know is, like, satisfaction and get off of my cloud, you know, then you can hear some other things the Stones could do if, even if they didn't do a whole lot of it so i guess that wraps up this week um my name is scott livingston logan renard matthew marr 
We do humbly ask that you take a minute and go into whatever podcasting application you are currently using to uh, listen to the show and give us a rating. Rate us six stars. We deserve more than you can give us. So that way we know you exist and you're listening and we're not crazy. Also, we're on um, Twitter at D Outliers and Facebook. We have a Facebook group. You can look us up there. We have a website, detoursandoutliers.com. And if you have any ideas for future albums that we might want to do episodes about, send us an email at uh, detoursandoutliers at gmail.com. And until next week, uh, we'll see you later. <laughs> or hear you later. On with the show. Good health On to with you. the show. <laughs>